Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning, and we're going to be focusing on just a few verses, verses 19 through 23. We've been studying this letter that Paul writes to this church. They were a real hodgepodge of people, kind of like us, right? Uh, do we have any people from, that grew up in Louisiana here? It's all right. You can be proud of it if you want to. <laughs> do we have any Louisiana folk here? All right. We got some. Texans? All right. Sounds like it. All right. Anybody not from Louisiana or Texas? I'm just going to throw... All right. Maybe some Arkansas folk are in here today. Calling the hogs. Not during church or not, but... We got a hodgepodge of folks in here. I would imagine there's a lot of different backgrounds. They, they were absolutely no different. And as you can imagine, when you have those kinds of differences, it can create some tension between people, right? I mean, if you're a Razorback fan and you're an Aggie, like God intended. <laughs> all right, all right. Football season's not far off. We're just having a little bit of fun, right? It was a really diverse place. Uh, there were young and old. There were rich people. There were poor people. There were slaves in Corinth. There were free people. There were Jews. There were Gentiles. Uh, there were pagans. And I mean like they were really pagans, not just you're throwing a bad label on them. There were really pagans. And then there were also Christians that had come out of paganism to become Christians. There were also non-religious people. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like us. It sounds a lot like our country. Um, and with that kind of diversity... It just, creates, it just creates tension. And so with that, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Writing to this church, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant. Some of your translations will say a slave. Even though I'm, I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Made myself this. Now think about that for a second. He uses a word here, servant or slave. This is a person, and they would know this. This is a person that is totally owned by somebody else. And so he's drawing on a reality of their culture to make an important point for the way that he sees himself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I've made myself a slave to the service of other people. Uh, given that people in Corinth knew what this would look like, they would also understand why he would use that example because they could literally walk out their door and see slaves walking the streets. They would know what their life was like. Literally in the morning, they would wake up to the service of other people. And Paul says this, yeah, I made myself that for other people. In other words, I've given up my own preferences because what I think about is this. Look at verse 20. Paul says, I give up all of my preferences so that I might win more of them. That's why. So to the Jews, I became a Jew. In order to win Jews, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself. And I know you're sitting there going, I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to tell you what it means. I find this phrase to be a little bit weird because he says, to the Jews, I became a Jew. Well, what was he? How did Paul grow up? He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. I mean, this guy had climbed the social ladder. He had power and prestige all because of his Jewishness. He's like, well, to the Jews, I became a Jew. What? That's what you are. It's what you were. Why would he say something like this? And the answer is 
What he means is that he's, even though he has left that Jewish background, he has become a Christian, there are times where culturally he'll do the kinds of things that Jews do. Why? He told you in verse 20, so that I can win some of them to Jesus. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever been to Israel. If you haven't, you need to go sometime. It's actually a pretty amazing experience. If you go in kind of a standard Israeli kind of restaurant or something like that, you will find that they have uh, kosher practices in place. And so on the one hand, you might have a kitchen over here. You have a completely separate kitchen that is over here. And that's because they don't want certain things to mix. For example, you might go into the Old Testament and you'll see some strange kinds of commands, one of which would be like this. Don't boil a kid, meaning like a little goat, not your child. Don't, bo- <laughs> don't go do that. Oh, don't do that either. But you know, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. What a strange kind of command. But as a result, what you'll also see is you're going to separate the meats and the dairies. These things don't touch. But the deeper question is, is why would they have some kind of a command like that? To us, seems a little bit weird. And the answer is, if you think about it, it says don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Well, what's a mother's milk? I mean, a mother's milk is supposed to be this symbol. It's supposed to be this picture of what gives life to life. And what he says is in the command, the whole point is, is don't mix death with life. You separate these things out. We want these things to be pure and kept apart. So what Paul is saying is there are times in the day in and day out that I run into Jewish people and they still have these practices that they venerate from the Old Testament. Well, even though I'm not under the law, I'm still going to practice a lot of this with these folks so that I might win some of them to Jesus. I'll put, I'll put all of my rights aside if it gives me a chance to have that conversation with them. That's what he's saying. What he doesn't mean is that he has to obey all of the law to be saved. Doesn't mean that at all. Matter of fact, he left that background to come to Christ. So notice the difference. If you look there and you look in verse 21, he says, now to those outside of the law, now he's starting to talk about non-Jewish people. They never were worried about the law of God. Maybe some of the -the run-of-the-mill pagans that were running around the streets of Corinth. He said, to those outside the law, well, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside the law of God, not like God hasn't given him specific commands, but under the control of Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means that he was willing to live culturally like those that don't follow Jewish law. But here's what he's saying. I don't throw away all of my morality. It's not like, well, you know, these pagans, they have certain practices here, one of which included temple prostitution. And Paul's not saying, well, I guess I'll join in with that too. No, he's not going to join in with that. Nice try. He's not going to do it. He says, but there's certain things that they practice that it's not immoral at all. It's just kind of a part of the culture and their beliefs. And so long as it doesn't actually contradict something that I believe in my Christian faith, who cares if it gives me the platform to build the relationship with these people? I'm for it. Let's go. So here's what this might look like for Paul. What it might look like for Paul, so as he says in verse 21, so that I might win some, some, I'm going to win them all, so that I might win some is that when he's hanging out with a predominantly Jewish crowd or a Jewish crowd, he he might actually have kosher practices in place. Well, who cares? Eat. I've done that. I've done that. He said, but when I'm hanging out with like Gentile folk that they're not worried about pork and whatnot, let's have some bacon. 
it's probably gonna be pretty good. And he would be right, because bacon makes everything taste better. <laughs> and you know it, right? Just last night, because uh, for one of my girls, I said, what is it that you would want for dinner? And she wanted uh, steak. And I wrapped that steak with bacon, because it's what you do, and it was better. This is what Paul's trying to say. Do you get it yet? Do you get it? Who am I interacting with? Not, am I going to compromise my moral and God-given convictions? I won't do that. But the rest of the stuff, let it go. Quit acting like it's so important. He gave up his preferences so that the gospel could be advanced. Making sense so far? The key phrase you see in verses 23 and 24. Why do I do all this, Paul says? And why would I do it? I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them and its blessings. He wants these people to know the Lord as he came to know the Lord. I want them to share in those blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? And here's what he says, so run that you might obtain it. Run that you might get it. If you think about it, a professional athlete, they remove the things that keeps them from winning. One of my girls, Kaylee, she plays a lot of volleyball. They give her very specific instructions on game days, what she can eat and what she cannot eat because it will impact her performance. If I were to walk in with a big old bag of Chick-fil-A and hand that to Kaylee on a tournament day, those coaches are gonna burn holes through me. <laughs> they don't want her eating that stuff. It weighs the body down. They're looking for other forms of nutrition that are quick energy to get the go and not hinder what they're trying to do. Not uncommon in Greece back then, by the way, wasn't uncommon for athletes to run in the nude. Not recommending it today, just reporting it today. They had what was called the Isthmian Games, and the Isthmian Games were every other year. They would play it the year before the Olympics, and they'd play it the year after the Olympics. And so this image is coming from that place. You would literally see athletes stripping themselves down. Have you watched what swimmers do nowadays? Skip the past, go to today. Uh, they put like, rubber on their head so that it covers up their hair. They literally shave their bodies of any hair. They put on the tightest kinds of Speedos that you can imagine. It's kind of painful to watch, honestly. Why? So that they are more aerodynamic when they hit the water. They want every single advantage that they can get. And this is what Paul is saying. You need every single advantage that you can get. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but one receives the prize. It's what you're going for. That's your goal. I mean, after all, let's imagine swimming. You could show up to a swim meet wearing a, a parka and boots if you want to. It's just not going to go well for you. You, you, have set, you have set roadblocks in your way to accomplishing your goal. By the way, you're free to do it, right? You're free to do it. It's just not the right thing you, to do if you wanna win. You gotta go a different way. And then Paul gives some insights to us in verse nine about things that he did that he put aside for the work that God had portioned for him in the gospel. Let's look at three things. If you look in chapter nine, verse four, he asks this question. He says, don't we have the right to eat and drink? I mean, don't we have the right to eat and drink? And the answer is yes. But this was a controversy in the Corinthian church. Eating meat, sacrificed to other gods, you saw that in chapter eight. What do I do? 
He says, well, if you're with a weaker brother or sister, don't do it. Some of them had come out of that pagan background. It's like leading them back up to some of the practices that they used to be a part of. It's going to kind of hurt them in their soul. And Paul's like, don't do that. They're weaker in the faith right now. You need to be one that strengthens them in the faith. There were other people that frankly didn't care. They were like, well, it was meat that was sacrificed up there. It was brought down into the market and it's good and it's bacon wrapped. We eat it, right? For those people that weren't worried about it, eat the meat. It didn't, it didn't matter. But it was a controversy in the church. So some of the Jewish Christians thought the meat had been permanently spoiled. And if you ate it, number one, you condoned the worshiping of other gods. And number two, you brought their power of control over your life. And they're like, you don't need to be doing that. And here's what Paul would say to them. If I'm around them, I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass. And the reason is, is because I want to have the place where we can have this good conversation about Jesus and his grace for them. I'll let it pass. Other Christians didn't seem to care. So, by the way, if you're curious about Paul, he was on the meat-eating side of things, unless it kept somebody from hearing about Jesus. So notice that's one thing he says, I'll just give it up. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's not that big a deal. I'll give it up. Here's the second thing, and you see it in verse five. He says, don't I have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife? Don't I have that right? That's an interesting thing to say. See, if you look in Paul's life, a number of scholars think that Paul very possibly had a family before his conversion. We're not exactly sure. In 1 Corinthians 7, he actually talks about um, marriage, and he says, this is I, Paul, speaking. Paul. Well, what's he speaking from if he had never been married before? And so some, some scholars think this guy had been married, and he lost his family. Maybe they abandoned him when he became a Christian. Maybe they died. We don't know. What we know at this point in his life, he's a single guy. We know that. And he says, don't I have a right in all of this to marry someone that's a godly woman that would come alongside me and do life with me? Don't I have that right? See, he explained that he remained single in chapter seven because he said it was helpful for his mission at the time. So I have the right, but I gave it up. I have the right to be married, but practically it wasn't what was best for what God had called me to on the mission field. And so I gave it up. That's two things that this guy has given up. Here's the third one. If you look in verse 12, he said, if the others have a right to receive, and he means financial benefits from you, then don't, don't we? Now, why would he say something like that? Because in verse six, he says, or do only Barnabas, because that's the we, him and Barnabas, or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working. Here's why he brings this up, is because he's literally having to make tents so that he can have a livelihood and continue to do the ministry of his work. He's like, now don't I have a right to be financially supported by you, that is the church, so that I can focus solely on the work of the church? Don't I have that right? And the answer is, yeah, actually he does. He knows that, he knows that, and so do they. However, there was something going on then. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, chose not to take a salary for their ministry, even though other Christian leaders did, in part because there were people saying that the apostles were walking around telling some made-up story about the resurrection of Jesus, and they were solely doing it so that you would give them cash. So here's what Paul says, keep your cash. Keep your cash. I am here to tell you about the grace of Jesus for your life and if me taking this from you is any roadblock to that, keep your change. I'll do the tent making. 
Do you notice notice something here with Paul? Three things that this guy gave up. He gave up certain things that he would eat or drink in public, even though there was no like restriction about it, really. Did you notice that he gave up having a wife and a family? He said for the good of the ministry and so that it it would go the way that God had portioned for him. And did you notice he even gave up money and power? Those are usually the things that we most focus on getting. And he said, I'll pass on those that the work of the gospel can go forward. I'll be honest with you, some of us have a hard time giving up a chair and a worship center. (laughs) And then we think about what this guy gave up. As he says, so that some might know him. Some. Friends, that's sacrifice. Let me get back to athletes for a second. I mean, if you look in verse 25, athletes who compete, what do they do? They exercise self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, he says. You're not gonna keep that. Even, I don't even have my baseball trophies from when I was a kid. I have no idea where those things are at. No clue. They were given to me. No clue where those things are at. These things will fade away. They will pass. He says, but we're going to receive an imperishable crown for the work that we do in Jesus Christ. So here's the challenge to us from Paul's example. And I'm giving this to our church. This should be our attitude in everything that we do, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. When it comes to the the work of the church, which is working to make every person a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, that is what we are here to do. To do this, to do this, we all have to pass on some things that we think are just so important, but are actually just our preferences and God doesn't care about. We just have to call it what it is. We're not here to be comfortable. We're here to make a gospel impact by all means so that some can know him. That's why we exist. J.D. Greer gave this example. I don't know why I'd never caught it, but in Acts chapter 16, Timothy is with Paul, and Paul is the guy that taught Timothy, right? Mentors him, trains him up, helps him as he hands him off to the church at Ephesus. They were kind of an interesting group. They were in a Jewish area doing ministry together. Just so you know, culturally speaking, Jews circumcise people. All right, if you didn't know that. Jews circumcised people. It was a sign of a covenant with God. You might know where this is going. Timothy had a Jewish mom and had a Gentile dad. The dad had never required him to be circumcised. Are we uncomfortable enough yet? Just give a little bit of Timothy's background here. To Jews, Timothy was dishonoring his Jewish heritage by not being circumcised. Here was Paul's response in Acts 16.3. Demanding this of him is unreasonable. However, to remove any obstacle to the gospel, Timothy, you need to be circumcised. Imagine being Timothy in that moment. I would like to take this before the church for a vote. (laughs) Who wants to do that? This is different than, you know, Paul, all you did was give up some meat, man. You're asking me to have an operation. This is crazy. And And what did he do? so that the gospel can advance. Let's do it. The whole story from the beginning of end 
is a story of sacrifice. And not just ours, but honestly, first and primarily, God's. It's God's. If you look at scripture, there are none who seek God, no, not one. And God knowing that says, then I'm coming after you. And it's gonna come at a great expense to me to do it. And all that we do anything, is falling in that example of what a personal sacrifice looks like, as Paul said, so that some could be saved. Just so that some could be saved. Or to reach all kinds of people. To the Jews, he ate Jewish food. And he ate with them. To the Gentiles, crispy bacon. Because it's better than chewy. Uh, you know I'm right. Why? so that some could be saved. Uh, There's a missionary back in 2018, if I remember right. His name is uh, John Chow. John Chow had been given this, just this burden. He was known for being kind of an adventurer, loved going out to the mountains and all that stuff. But he, he really believed that God had given him a particular burden to go and reach people that had never heard the gospel of Jesus before. And so he went out to the Sentinel Islands to talk with the people that, they're, they're completely isolated. They've actually never been connected to the rest of the world. They've never heard the gospel. And he says, well, they're not coming. I'm gonna go to them. And that's what he did. And he pulls up. And when he, when he pulls up first, you know, these people were known for not exactly being kind to people that were trying to come into their tribe. But he kept going. One time he even comes with kind of a peace offering as he crosses the water and gets, and he sees them. He puts it on the ground so he knows, I'm not here to hurt you. I just want to build a relationship with you. Nothing was really working. John Chow didn't give up. So as he continued the ministry, he crosses over the water one time to go into the Sentinel Islands, and that was when it happened. They attacked him and they killed him. Now, John Chow's dad, who is not a Christian, <clears throat> if I remember right, his dad is a Buddhist, looked at his son and said, what a waste of a life. What a waste of a life. And ever since, his father has been pretty bitter about the choice that his son made to take the gospel of Jesus to people that had never heard it before. But his son saw it completely differently. Not only did he see it as worth it and those people needing to hear it, what he said was he wasn't as concerned about how long of a life he had so long as his life made an impact. I think his life made an impact. What do you think? We partner with the International Mission Board. We have missionaries literally all over the world. We designate 13% of our budget every year specifically to missions, whether that's here in Houston or that's in Texas or that is around the world. We also take up two supplemental offerings. One is for missions to North America and the other is at the end of the year around Christmas where we take up a global missions offering. And we do that so that people, like Paul was saying, I have every right to be funded for the work. I'm gonna pass so it doesn't hinder the gospel. We do this every year so that these people can be fully devoted to the work that God has commissioned them to do. Some of them have come from our own church and are serving in places of, uh, and people that are hard to reach, underreached, or completely unreached. That's why we do it. But it comes at a great cause. Our, our whole story of why we are here as a church is because of the sacrifice of Jesus for us, for Paul and his missionary work, which spread Christianity to most of the world at that time. It cost him his life. And even today, we have people that have made the same commitment 
so that those that have never heard the name of Jesus can know him. His glory is our reward. So when we take a look at what we do as a church, I would hope that the first thing that we would say is an overflow and abundance of our heart because of everything that the Lord has shown us is that we would have, we would have the desire to have an impact in this community that we live in so that the people that don't know Jesus can know him and be fully devoted followers of him. And it comes with sacrifice. It comes with sacrifice. That we're constantly having to die to self and preferences, removing every single possible obstacle of what that would look like for this to come about. And we put our feet to the ground and we get to the hard work of making it a reality so that this community can be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. Maybe, maybe this morning you're sitting here and uh, you're wondering why this matters so much to the people of this church. And the reason is, is because we all came here under the same condition. <laughs> we weren't well. We weren't well. I was just sharing as we had Discover Woodridge this morning, uh, just a, a full room of people that are talking about joining our church. And we were excited to see them. And one asked if we would, uh, Mark Barnhill and I would kind of share our testimony. And there's, I'm not going to share everything with you. I just want to share something with you because I think it's the most important part. I can remember that before I ever became a Christian, how I really kind of thought about myself. And the way that I looked at it was, well, I mean, I'm a guy that, I mean, I make mistakes, but I'm not that bad. I mean, I'm not that bad. And over the years, largely because of the witness that I had and my parents and friends of the church, I started to see things a little bit differently. Because what I saw to understand both in my relationships just with people proved to be true and what was my greatest need in my relationship with God. That when I had done something that was wrong, what I needed was forgiveness. And that the, the only way, the only way that I could get it is if the one that I had wronged graciously offered it to me. It came from them. It didn't come from me. It, it's true in my human relationships. When I do something wrong in my marriage, you know what Wendy wants to hear? She wants to really see that I get it and that I say I'm sorry. Like, I get it. What she doesn't want to hear is, well, I went to the grocery store, I mowed the yard, I cleaned the pool. Oh, what else do you want from me? It's not what she wants. She wants to see that I get it. And on her end, it also means that forgiveness is being offered. I want you to understand something, my friends. That is the story of the gospel of Jesus, is that we are made right with him because of his kindness and his grace to offer us forgiveness when what we chose to do was to walk another way. And him not even being set to be okay with that, but to say, I see where you're going, but I'm gonna be following you. What I've hoped and prayed for many of you this morning is that you would make the decision that I made in April of 1986, we won't worry about math today. The most important decision that I ever made in my life was to say, this isn't my life. This one's yours. And I'm coming back because I've walked away. 
And would you just forgive me today? Here's what scripture says. You have a lot of sin in your heart. It's like John Calvin said, your heart is an idol factory. It creates stuff all the time for you to worship it. But it's a simple turn of the foot to look at the face of Jesus and to say, would you just forgive me today? And here's what scripture says. His grace is more than the sin in your heart. And the answer is yes, he will. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.